Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Priya Zepic, John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. <laughs> On today's show, Joe Biden gets some rough polling as he prepares for his debt ceiling showdown with Republicans. Donald Trump offers no defense as a jury decides the rape and defamation case against him. Tucker Carlson goes to war with Fox News. And Dianne Feinstein is still MIA as Clarence Thomas scandals pile up. Then later, the host of Pod Save the UK, Nish Kumar, talks to Tommy about uh, King Charles' coronation and a whole bunch of other stuff. We talked coronation. We talked about politics. They just had a bunch of elections. What does that mean for the Labor Party? There's a lot of um, shared challenges right now between the Labor Party and the UK. That's pundit hacking up a bone. It's the Labor Party in the UK and the Democratic Party over here. And we, uh, you know, misery loves company. So we talked about it. So Tommy talks to Nish, and all of you should check out the very first episode of Pod Save the UK. It's up now. The number one podcast in the UK. The number one podcast in the UK. It is funny. It is insightful. It is a joy to listen to. Please go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check out the first episode. All right, let's get to the news. Joe Biden got a suboptimal poll from the uh, Washington Post and ABC over the weekend that has him uh, losing to Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis among all adults by seven points, 49 to 42 percent for Trump and 48 to 41 percent for DeSantis. That's if you push leaners, people who are leaning one way or the other. The president's approval is at a record low of 36 percent in the poll, which is down from 42 percent in February. And 63% say he doesn't have the mental sharpness to serve effectively as president. That's up from 43% in 2020. Not great news in the poll for Trump either. A majority think he's a liar who should face multiple criminal charges. Um, Though about a quarter of all independents who support charging Trump Say so they would still vote for him over Biden. That's a. I'd like to talk to some of those people. Yeah, the, the people that he should be in jail and president. <laughs> I really just yeah. dumbfounding. That that's that's your independent swing voter for you. You know, and we love him. God love him. God love him. God love. Yeah. <laughs> Make the world go around. You think they're listening? <laughs> uh, anyway, great news. No, uh, any evidence this is an outlier? I feel like does you just uns- recited some. <laughs> does anyone want to unskew the poll? Yeah. Well, first of all, we should stipulate that we don't yell at polls here. They're inanimate objects. They did nothing wrong. They did nothing to you. They're just data sets. Yeah. I, here, Look, I, here's what I would also say. Um, you know, unskew so you can sleep at night, but spend all day thinking that they're they're pretty real. But if we were to say. yell at some polls, uh, it is weird that 56% say they, they that Trump should face criminal charges, but 49% say they'd vote for him. That doesn't, that seems challenging to make work. Other, other sort of, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it unskews the poll, but gives you reason to believe that... It's less 
<laughs> it's it's you can step a little bit. You can step back off the ledge a tiny bit. Is that it says he's twenty six. He has twenty six percent approval among uh, under thirty, forty two percent among non whites, forty one percent among urban residents, forty six percent amongst those with no religious affiliation. Uh, these would be people that may not approve of the job Joe Biden is doing right now, but these are uh, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative types. Mm-hmm. That was my one sign for hope. What do you got? That's I'm, I'm looking for something here. It's it's a very bad poll. <laughs> Trump's winning young people. Biden's winning old people. That doesn't make a lot of sense either. It's all just sort of weird. Here's, it's confusing. Here's what you do. Third in the average. Yeah. Third, sure. Five thirty-eight. Okay. Five thirty-eight. It. Well, yeah. Uh, well, we were going to do can. that after the conversation, but, we, have to, but we still got stuff to do before the mattress ad. <laughs> <laughs> so the average has Biden's approval. It's steady around forty-two, forty-three percent. Uh, so no no sudden upticks or, or downticks in the uh, approval rating for Biden. So it's it's a little higher than the 36% in this poll. Though, you know, the Quinnipiac poll, for in terms of like high quality polls, first of all, there haven't been many for 2024 yet. But the Quinnipiac has him at like 37. The Wall Street Journal NBC one had him at 42. So it's in the range. The difference is, is that Biden's horse race number is higher in those other polls than it is here. And Trump's is higher. Now, they did push leaners. At the, at the regular poll was like, I think Trump only got 45 or 46% when they didn't push leaners. And 45, 46% is what Trump has received in the last two elections. Yeah, the other, the, 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 you said that this doesn't have a lot of good news for Trump either, which is true, but it sort of fits with where Trump always is, which is just he always has very bad polling. <laughs> that kind of fits with where this was at. The one thing that I pulled out that I did think was worth talking about is it said, 30, 33% say Trump is honest, 63% say he's not. That is that is where Trump has always been on the honesty mark. But Biden is only at 41% saying that he's honest and trustworthy, while 54% say he's not. Uh, in the lead up to 2020, that was, uh, if, if not flipped, close to it. And that has been dropping pretty steadily. And to me, is like a really, like put put aside the the actual kind of uh, horse race numbers, the comparisons, all the rest. The fact that there's been that drop in honesty and trustworthiness, when that is, I think, one of his big selling points and one of the ways he's sort of ridden sort of waves of disapproval is uh, was alarming to me. I got to check with Obama because I do think that for a lot of presidents, their their honest and trustworthy numbers tend to go down over the course of, of, yes. of the eight. Do you have a Do you have an AI thing ready? Oh no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine I, if I just had a. You, know, you had the face board. that you, you have when you're ready to introduce a bit to us, which I was really excited. Yeah, I mean, look, it has been steadily going down, and that is probably just a result of people just being disappointed with the difference between what a candidate sounds like and what a president sounds thinking, like, which yeah. is of course true. But like, you look at Obama over eight years, and even when his disapproval dropped, there were certain metrics of his sort of personal likability that kind of stayed buoyant, which was a protection against uh, uh, people like Mitt Romney, for yeah. example. And I don't know, that was just. Uh, nerve-wracking to me. So easily could be a bad sample, bad poll, or could be right. We don't know. The RCP average has Trump leading by one uh, with this poll in it. So either way, it's going to be a f- close fucking race. That's a long time. Right? Like, a lot of undecided. Trump is poll. once again around 45, 46, right? When you don't push leaners, which is always where he's been. And if it's just Trump and Biden, then, you know, probably a little better for Biden. But again, we get third parties in there and suddenly it could be 2016 again, and Trump doesn't have to get much higher than 45 or 40 percent. talking about that, still win. that RFK junior magic. Also, right fucking there. no labels and and whether they're going to Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema or someone else. And a lot of the drop in here is not just independents, but Democrats. Yeah, that's and that one that one's probably easy, most easily fixable. I will say it's hard to, you know, the 
60% saying he's uh, not doesn't have the acuity viewing Trump as having um, being more kind of up to the job. Yes, you say that that made me a little more nervous than the uh, honest and trustworthy ones even. I don't like either. Yeah. yeah that's great. I mean, instead of just uh, so instead of just complaining about what we don't like about this poll, that's easy enough to do. Well, that part's over. We got any advice? Any advice for the Biden campaign as they look at these numbers? I think that ultimately Joe Biden is going to have to say things are better but they're not perfect. I know you don't love me, but these guys are crazy. <laughs> Like, like, look over there. They're, like, they're going to destroy the economy with the debt ceiling. They're going to do nothing to stop guns, uh, gun violence. They're going to take your freedoms away. The key is the choice. It's Joe versus the wackos. And when we don't have a Republican nominee yet, it's very hard to do that. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think Trump, it's, you know, I, I think, like, the political press and a lot of people that are very engaged are paying attention to the ongoing legal machinations, but there's nothing compared to a campaign. And he really is out of the limelight in a lot of ways. And you see the kind of, even in this poll, like, just, like, places where his just approval rating has gone back up. Like, he had this sort of immovable approval on the economy that basically stayed pretty high up until the pandemic and then started dropping. And now it's kind of back up to where it was pre-pandemic. And all of this is a really, and it's the, it's, I hate to say it, like absence makes the heart grow fonder <laughs> and it sucks, but. Oh, you said with Trump. With Trump, yeah. Yeah, I think, I can't tell. I mean, I think that, I feel like opinions about Trump are pretty hardened, but that the, that the campaign is going to hinge on reminding people how awful he is, right? Which is not hard to do. Yeah. Sometimes he just opens his mouth and does it. Yeah, um, there's plenty of, like you said, legal uh, issues that he's dealing with that will, again, shine a light on uh, who he is as a person. I think for Biden, it, Tommy's right that it, it's all a choice. It's all about why Trump is crazy. It's all about why the Republicans are extreme. But in terms of his own personal style, I think, like, I think, I think Biden's got to really flood the zone with being in people's faces all the time. Like, I think that I think that stepping back when you're the challenger to Donald Trump and Donald Trump's president and you don't really, it, Biden's just the alternative to what you don't like right now. I think that works. I think it's tougher when you're the incumbent as Joe Biden is. And if there's a lot of people who they, when they only, they only hear from Joe Biden when there's uh, some right wing TikTok of him seeming old, then they're going to have a bad opinion of him, right? And I think the only way to combat that is, Joe Biden out there all the time, showing some energy, being loose, being with people, right? He's he's really good one-on-one -on -one with people, and whether it's town halls, whether it's meeting people on rope lines. Like, I think all of this, if I was running a campaign, this is what I would, and I'm sure the, the Biden people are thinking about all this, like, this is what I would do. We were just talking about the correspondence in her speech last week, and his delivery was really good, and yeah. he was having fun. And also when he's in fighting mode, too, when he's like talking about Donald Trump, talking about the threats of democracy. He tends to have a lot of energy there, too. I think that reminds people that he's got a fighting spirit, too. Like, I, I think there's ways to help combat the perception that he is, you know, too old. Yeah, I'm sure they're very frustrated because I think the economy has added 13 million jobs or just shy of 13 million jobs since he took office. Unemployment is at record lows, like three and a half percent. You're reading all these announcements about companies literally opening manufacturing plants in Georgia and other places because of tax credits in the IRA, but he doesn't seem to be getting any credit for it. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. He's got to be out more. I do think like, it's good advice, but I think there's limits to how many people are actually going to hear about these stories just because of the way the media works. So hard. So, you know. That's why it's just a volume. I should be like big shoes. You got <laughs> Big shoes. You, it's, it's, it is, it's quantity at some point, right? Because it is so, getting attention.
even when you're president of the United States in this media environment, it's, it's just a harder, you know? Yeah. And, and doing a typical event where you're just going and touting some manufacturing jobs, like it's just, it, that, that won't get you the attention anymore. Um, you got to keep, and I think, I think it's, it's not only what Joe Biden has done, but that he continues to show this like fighting spirit on behalf of working people. He did this today. Um, on Monday, he announced new regulations with uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg that would require airlines to compensate customers beyond a ticket refund if there's a delay or canceled flight. Love this. Love hey, this. This is good stuff. They love should this. do some fun stuff with this to, again, really get it some attention. I, because love, the, I love the fee stuff. People aren't going to know that. Now, the problem is it's not going to take effect for like months if, if you know years. Because go sure. through, go through the, rule, the rulemaking process. <laughs> the rulemaking process. I love it. It's a great idea. Integrated character, IP, life enhancement. Via <laughs> airlines, gated <laughs> communities, infinite freedom. Don't just give me, don't just give me a voucher. Buttigieg. Fork over some extra. I love that. Cash. No, go to an airport. Why didn't we do the more of this? Going after these terrible monopolistic companies is a great idea. Do it every day, Joe. We, so did, a, we did a we did a passenger bill of rights, but it didn't yeah. quite go as far as this. We did the uh, if if airlines overbook and that you get kicked off a plane because of the overbooking then they have to pay you yeah. like double the money. And we said they couldn't leave you on the tarmac for more than eight hours or something. So, you know, yeah, there was that jet, there was that jet, there there was that jet blue flight that went fully kind of Lord of the Flies. <laughs> yes, but Biden out there fighting against corporations on behalf of working yeah. people over and over again. That's that's good stuff. Yes, that's good stuff. And just, you know, let's get them out there meeting people between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. That's the sweet spot. Get them out there. Sun shining, birds chirping, ice cream in his hand. <laughs> and joke, and, and he should be joking about his age all the time. Yeah. Uh, he did it at the Correspondence Center. He should do it some yeah. more. I'm older, than the, I'm older than the trees. <laughs> he said something about his 280-year career. That's great. The other day, which is That's really great. funny. Do That's that. Funny. That's I like great. it. All right. Donald Trump still has a few bumps on his road back to the White House. <laughs> New York Times reports that in the classified documents investigation, special counsel Jack Smith has obtained cooperation from a secret witness who worked at Mar-a-Lago, and he's also issued a new wave of subpoenas, including for records related to Trump's business dealings with Saudi Arabia. His name? Juan Jr. (laughs) (laughs) With a little mustache. Don Jr. You get it. it. That's funny. Um, Also, after the leader of the Proud Boys and three others were convicted of seditious conspiracy, Congressman uh, Jamie Raskin told Jen Psaki over the weekend that Trump could absolutely face the same charges. And jurors have just heard closing arguments in the rape and defamation case brought by the writer E. Jean Carroll against Trump, who not only turned down a second last minute chance to testify, but presented no defense in the case whatsoever. None. Well, so, uh, and just so people understand, so the reason there was this second chance to testify is that when he was opening up a golf course in Scotland, he did the thing he always does, which is, I could testify, happily testify, love to testify. And then the judge was like, okay. And he said, they said, I'm coming back home. I got to go back home to testify. Yeah, I have to leave the country early. I have to leave Ireland earlier or wherever I was. I have to go testify. And the judge and was just like, okay. Well, you weren't going to do that. And then the judge was like, okay, tell me by 5 p.m. if you're going to want to testify. No, no, no. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> of course not. What are you, crazy? Very strange. <laughs> uh, so... Though jurors did get to watch video of Trump's deposition from October, uh, which we have some clips from. Let's listen. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. You can do anything. That's what you said, correct? Well, historically, that's true with stars. It's true with stars that, that they can grab women by the pussy? Well, that's what it's. If you look over the last million years, I guess that's been largely true. Not always, but largely true. Unfortunately or fortunately. When you said in that video that Ms. Leeds would not be your first choice, you were referring to her physical looks, correct? 
Just the overall. Not I, I look at her. I see her. I hear what she says. Whatever. You wouldn't be a choice of mine either, to be honest with you. I hope you're not insulted. I would not, under any circumstances, have any interest in you. I'm being. I'm honest when I say it. It's just he's such an so awful disgusting. Human being. Unfortunately or fortunately, it's, I mean, a lot of these are things he said before, but he just compounds it any way he can by just being the most disgusting human being in these depositions. You know, it's things he said before, but I will just say I know that we're all inured to this now because we've had a lot of years of Donald Trump. But let's remember when the Access Hollywood tape comes out and Donald Trump actually gives the remember the the live on air apology he mm-hmm. does that is the you video, know yeah. and he, oh, this is not what I meant blah blah. blah. Now. It's just like January 6th. He's long gone past, oh, I didn't say that, or that was just a joke. And now he says, oh, no, what I said was true. What I said was true, and it was good. It was good. That's, yeah. that's what you, 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 get, you do get to do that if you're a celebrity. When he makes it worse, and he insults the lawyer, and she's, she's yeah, it, it sounds awful. Uh, we'll leave the legal consequences of Trump's actions to uh, juries of his peers. It does seem like the political consequences of all these cases could be a bit more damaging for Trump than the hush money case. Uh, but what do you guys think? of all these developments that have popped up recently. There's a lot of, I mean, certainly this conversation we're having right now reminds you there's just a ton of legal uncertainty swirling around him as a person around the campaign. And the fact that DeSantis and all the other opponents can't seem to get it together to leverage not just what he actually did, but the kind of political risk is, you know, another indictment of how bad they are running against him. Yeah, I'd also just say that uh, deposition uh, interview footage always looks bad. Really, it bad. always just it has that just it has sort a of feel to it. It has a feel to yeah. it, it's, as does all kind of hidden camera footage. Always kind of feels bad. Uh, I don't know what the impact of this will spe- this specific case will be. You know, uh, a year and a half from now. But what are his two lowest moments as a as a candidate and president i'd say one of them is around the access hollywood tape i'd say the three lowest moments one is access hollywood second is the healthcare vote and the third is the insurrection you'd probably yeah, say those say are def- the three i definitely include Good trying ones. to yeah. uh, disrupt the peaceful transfer I, of power 100 percent. i don't even mean obviously <laughs> but i mean in, in terms of like the public the yeah. public reaction to him where you know like we just talked about how robust and stand like how stable his polling always is and like what are the things that managed to kind of like pull that clothesline down a little to weigh it down it was access hollywood it was healthcare. Uh, and it was the insurrection. And this is as bad as that ever was, even though we are all fucking desensitized to it. I realize that this is incredibly hackish of me. But when I saw that deposition footage, my first thought was ads. Democratic super PAC. There if I was go. a Democratic super PAC out there, I would throw some of that deposition footage in an ad and test it first, you know, test it for in front of voters, focus groups, see how it goes. But I would bet, particularly after talking to Celinda Lake on this show a couple weeks ago, that this would break through. She said that the this case is breaking through in a lot of her research, especially among women, especially among young women, says something about our society, of course, that it's not getting as much coverage as the hush money case. I realize it's a civil lawsuit, not criminal, but it's pretty big deal if a jury decides that a former president is a rapist for the first time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's getting less coverage because it's just different phases of the trial. I mean, similarly, the in the Mar-a-Lago case, I've always wondered whether people would really care whether or not he took classified documents. But when you start to read about how the FBI is looking, they're talking to his staff to see if they were directed to hide or move things after the subpoenas came through or if they deleted footage of what happened, that feels like a big deal. I mean, like Jack Smith is flinging subpoenas like a like a blackjack dealer down there. Like the whole staff has now been subpoenaed. Both of the calamaries. We, who can forget it's the calamari? It's a double calamari. Matthew Calamari, I think senior the w, and junior. I think the, the plural of calamari is calamari. Oh, I think you might be right. Here's my favorite. I think a single. I think one of them is a calamaro. 
<laughs> my favorite anecdote from this New York Times story about the Mar-a-Lago case was among the information they have gathered in interviews concerned his habit of flushing material down toilets, according to a person familiar with the matter. And I just like love the idea of some very serious FBI agent like <laughs> asking questions, be like, number one. So this goes down the shitter as well. If it's a yellow, let it mellow. Okay. Number two. Uh, <laughs> Tommy, single ply. Tommy, can you give us your take on the, uh, oh, the, the potential Saudi connection here? It was just sort of slipped in as like weird. paragraph 20 of the New York Times story. It's like, oh, by the way, there's a subpoena for Trump's business dealings with the Saudis over their, their golf venture. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. And I've never really believed you that. You want to red string it for us? Yep. <laughs> they never really believed that Trump took a bunch of classified documents to sell them to some other country or anything like that. But- if you were looking for a way to trade this information to, let's say, the Saudi government for cash, it does seem like uh, having the Live Golf Tournament host a bunch of uh, matches or whatever they're calling them, they call something different, at his clubs would be a great way yeah. to launder that money. Great way to get his beak wet. Unbelievable. We, we, we didn't even also talk about the fact that they've uh, given immunity to a bunch of the fake electors. Oh, yeah. Which... Uh, in like, Georgia. Yeah, you know, those people uh they all you know, immunity deals. They got immunity, so what do they know? And why are we giving and and, and where Finney and, Willis isn't giving out immunity for free. And right, like <laughs> what and what those people did was very serious, very illegal, and very wrong. And so, you know, who are the people you're going after? There's not very many above the uh, electors that aren't named Donald Trump. As Tommy pointed out, one person who's still not taking advantage of any of this is Ron DeSantis, who's busy dealing with more of his own bad press. Uh, ABC obtained video of Tiny D's debate prep sessions from his 2018 race for governor, where an advisor suggested that when he gets to the podium, he should write the word LIKEABLE in all caps at the top of his notepad. You can also see Matt Gates telling DeSantis to tone it down during prep, <laughs> and DeSantis struggling with how to avoid pissing off Trump's voters. Let's listen. Has the NRA donated to me? I, I don't think the NRA is quite the boogeyman the Democrats think it is. Do we hit him on guns or just everyone who cares about guns every, is going to vote for me? Is there any issue upon which you disagree with President Trump? Obviously there is because I've, I've, been, I've voted contrary to him in the Congress. I have to frame it in a way that's not going to piss off all his voters. So what I do is I do what I think is right. I support um, his agenda in terms of what he's been able to do. If I have a disagreement, I talk to him in private. I think when you walk up there, if you have a pad, you have to write in all caps at the top of the pad, likable. And then look, I, I do the same thing because I have the same personality. We're both aggressive. I see the same thing. Do the do same guys, thing. Do you guys think it's a good sign for your political prospects when the person advising you on likability is uh, Matt Gates? Matt Gates is dressed like he's going to go sell nitrous balloons at a Dave Matthews concert. He's wearing like <laughs> Nirvana flip-flops, flip-flops and a two-tight very t-shirt. Schlubby. Matt Gates is telling you to tone it down? <laughs> yeah, that's This it. fucking guy? Matt Gates is like, here's how to be likable. Uh, can we just it, be honest? Take it from me, Matt Gates. It's not bad advice. It's, no. it's such a pretty good advice from Matt Gates. The whole thing like seems kind of normal and more reasonable. And I, I don't know, even even DeSantis kind of seems smarter about politics, but he comes off as very angry that about everything. That fucking voice of his. Man. You, almost, you might say he comes off as a little sanctimonious. A little he comes off like the Mars Attacks aliens. Ack, ack, ack. The other, it reminded me of something, which is um, the way in which they're trying to corral this fucking humorless stale-voiced, whiny, awful personality uh, uh, candidate to being a likable politician. When when I was a first when I was first um, working on the Hill, uh, I worked for a senator named John Corzine, much more likable than Ron DeSantis. But he was just he was like a finance guy. Public speaking was not his forte, and they like very early on they wanted him to come up with jokes or have like be funny. And they brought me into a kind of speech prep, 
And I just remember realizing how far we were from jokes because one of the pieces of advice was, it would be helpful if you stopped rolling up the speech and using that to scratch your beard while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> right, that one at the top of the notepad. Yeah. But, um, but that's what that no reminded scratching. me of. Yeah, but like saying "write likable" on your notepad is so goddamn funny. It's terrible advice. Well, you can't just be like you can remind yourself to be likable. You are or you are not. When George H. W. Bush was running against Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was obviously more likable and seemed more compassionate and more able to relate to people. And so there's a famous moment where George H.W. Bush says something about grocery prices and he goes, message, I care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was the that was not the part. That was yeah. subtext. He was supposed to- Stay directions. Was to, that was, that so was, was like show a, not it was like tell. A, it was like saying your name here. Yeah. I think there was something revealing when, when Gates is telling him, oh, you were too aggressive in, in what you just said. What he was referring to is during debate prep, Remember back in the 2018 race, uh, at, at one point, uh, DeSantis says, all right, Florida, don't monkey this up by voting for Andrew Gillum. And everyone took it as a racist statement. And so in debate prep, they hit him with that. With the, they hit DeSantis with that. And he basically was like, yeah, I was pretty hot in response to that. But what I learned from Kavanaugh is you can never even show a hint of weakness on these things or even seem apologetic at all. You've just got to just go hard and seem angry. And that's the only way to do it, because otherwise our base will think that we're weak. And that is the lesson that all of them have learned. Yeah, That is the whole lesson of the Trump era. Never apologize, act like an asshole, and you can get through it. It's just, but he sounds so whiny. So he's whiny. a big whiner and he's resting dumb face and the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, it's a weird debate staff. I mean, Matt Gates is running your debate prep. That's just a strange decision. Yeah. And now he's it. for and now he's for Trump. So, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, that that must worry them. I mean, the, these kinds of tapes leaking. I don't know. If I've ever heard of that happening before. That's a pretty big breach. Like debate prep is like kind of like yeah. an inner an you know, an inner circle kind of sacred yes, space. That shit doesn't so. leak. Yeah. So, and Gates goes from DeSantis guy to Trump supporter, sycophant. DeSantis had a big split with Susie Wiles, who was running his campaign at the time. She's now working for Trump. I would be sitting there thinking, oh my God, what else are they sitting on? That's cool. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down. Not do what generations of New Englanders have done. Just stuff their feelings down. Maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No. You got to talk to someone. You got to work it out. Get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P-S-A. Pod Save America is brought to you by Helix Sleep. How long have you had your mattress? For most people, it's probably time for an upgrade, right? Well, Helix has exactly what you need. Everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. 
Helix has models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they've got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combination of comfort and support. Uh, I have a Helix mattress in our guest bedroom. Mm -hmm. Every single person who stays with us says, that bed is so comfortable. Where'd you get it? You know what I say? Where do you say? Helix. I love my Helix mattress. I have a Don Lux. Don Lux. It's very comfortable. So Lux. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash crooked and use code helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Again, that's helixsleep.com slash crooked and use code helixpartner20. Pod Save America is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? I know now. There you go. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And that's and that's so fast. So fast. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Let me tell you, I'm not very good at keeping plants alive, but... uh. They sent us a, a little tree, and it is... A ficus. It is both alive and thriving. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Big, beautiful leaves. Big leaves. Big leaves. Uh, I love the looks of it. Looks great. Uh, it came really fast. Perfect. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half on select plants and other deals, and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code CROOKED at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code CROOKED at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code CROOKED. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Big week in D.C. Joe Biden has his first debt ceiling meeting with the four top leaders in Congress at the White House today. Just in time. <laughs> a couple of weeks away from yeah. default. Yeah, J- uh, Jan- Janet Yellen is just is just uh, just white knuckling on a toilet somewhere. <laughs> just fucking anxiety for fucking days. She's not. Why she's is not, she on a toilet? Janet Yellen oh, hasn't what? had a solid shit in two weeks. Oh my! God. <laughs> just saying, she's anxious. She's you worried can't hear about that on any other podcast. Oh no other media. You're not getting that on MSNBC. Oh my god! Uh, this comes after 43 Republican senators <laughs> signed a letter over the weekend saying they will not support a debt ceiling increase without substantial cuts of the kind the House passed. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy and leadership aides are trying to tamp down expectations within their caucus about what would constitute a win for Republicans, since his most extreme members are saying they won't vote for anything less than the House bill. Are we just headed for a either default or a less crazy version of the House bill? Is it still possible at this point for Biden to get a clean increase? Is any kind of deal possible? What do you guys think? I would say, first of all, I think to get 43 Senate Republicans together to say anything close to this, it had to be vague and purposefully vague. So what they say is they're united behind the House Republican conference in support of spending cuts and structural budget reforms as a starting point for negotiations on the debt ceiling. That leaves a lot of room to maneuver. And they won't vote for cloture on any bill that raises the debt ceiling without substantive spending and budget reforms, which also gives you a lot of space. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey. The starting point was fan fiction about Twilight. You can go very far from your starting point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
It's just something to think about. Though it was it was vague, but still, you, they didn't get uh, they didn't get Romney, Collins, or Murkowski to sign on to that letter. Uh, they didn't. You're right. So I don't know. They got forty. They wait. I feel like they got McCon- to their, they got I, to, they got above forty and they pat themselves think, on the back. I think what what the Republicans have done, which is smart here in the Senate, is they're like, we cannot leave. At least at this point, we can't leave McCarthy out to dry. He got this passed through the House. We got to lock arms with McCarthy. We can't have any daylight between the Senate and the House Republicans. Otherwise, we're not going to get anything about, out of Biden. That's to me. That seems what that letter is about. I would say it's getting getting this off. This says where the state, the the Senate Republicans are. I don't know that this is something that puts any more pressure on Biden than what he already was facing. I but I think publicly it answers the mail on what McConnell's been getting asked over and over again. Yeah. I'm just still caught up on that, you know, previous comment about the <laughs> Secretary Yellen. of the Treasury. I, I mean, I guess good news, bad news, good news, you can't really get much worse than a $1.5 trillion debt limit extension for less than a year for $5 trillion in cuts. So uh, baby steps to better. Who knows? Well, I know. Well, um, I, you know I still don't see a path forward, though. The reason I mentioned the... Um, on the McCarthy side, what we saw in Playbook today that he's telling, he's tamping down expectations, is there were some senior Republican aides in the House who were like, if we just get uh, if we just get the unspent COVID funds yeah. and permitting reform, that's a win. And I'm like, really? yeah, oh no, don't get that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be that horrible. Too. We can't get that, that up. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that like that with the House Republicans, some of them play crazy, some of them aren't crazy, and some of the ones that play crazy are just like a little bit nervous. With some of the ones that are, hey, like I'm visiting this asylum. I don't. <laughs> I don't fucking live here with you people. Uh, but uh, yeah. I do think, though, like I don't see a clean increase happening at this point. Because forget about the 43 Republicans. You also got Joe Manchin you're dealing with in the Senate. Forget about the House at this point. The, getting a clean increase through the Senate seems like it's very difficult at this point. I also think a lot of this is semantics. Like, mm. I don't know what, like, if let, like, for example, we don't know what's going to come out of a conversation with McCarthy and Biden tomorrow. But one thing potentially is some sort of a framework that is a short-term debt ceiling extension with some kind of cap on spending that kicks you to a negotiation over government shutdown plus that Biden gets to call that a clean raise to get you to right. the fill, to the to the negotiation two track strategy it's right and so but like did Biden get a clean debt limit uh, uh, increase in that case? Yes, no. I think the, the semantics fall apart when you tie it to another negotiation. We need a bipartisan coalition of reporters, TV broadcasters, podcasters mm-hmm. to come together and say. We're sick of talking about this. It is so boring. It makes us want to die. Please just fix it so we don't have to people talk about it. You know who's going to help again. us with that? Our audiences. <laughs> people keep saying it. People keep saying it's boring. I'm interested. I'm interested. I, I, liked, I think the gamesmanship is kind of interesting. I think it's fascinating. It's, it's real. It's a lot of game theory stuff. It's, yeah, it's game theory. Oh it's, it's real negotiations. Who are you? It's doing? real snakes. What happened to my friends. I think what's also exciting. What's also exciting to me about a two-track strategy is you get to do oh something. God. You get to do something that's I think classically American, which is you kick the can down the road and raise the stakes. <laughs> which is a classic American Kick the move. can, raise the stakes. Yeah, we're like, and make it worse. We're at season six and everyone's lost the plot. It's Westworld all over again. It's, West, Ooh, it's Westworld all Westworld over again. Westworld all over again. It's all, it's all again. Anyway. Your, your mind is the scene of the crime. Speaking of entertainment. Different thing. Axios reports that Tucker Carlson is about to go to war with Fox News in order to get out of his contract, which is basically paying him $20 million to yes. not work for any competitor or himself until yes, 2025. Tucker. Uh, Tucker's apparently thinking about starting his own media venture. Uh, he's approached... Elon Musk about working together. Of course he did. Um, and a friend said that when it comes to Fox, Tucker, quote, knows where a lot of bodies are buried and is ready to start drawing a map. I don't, you keep <laughs> saying this thing that like, what, 
what fucking bodies over there? Uh, what what do we not know about this heinous right wing fascist it's organization? It's gonna be actual bodies. Like, is it point. actual it's corpses? Because it because it actually what it feels like what what Fox News feels like right now. They bury Roger is, Ailes under the uh, under yeah, the newsroom. Like how 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 it's felt watching this over the last like six months is like. Uh, a graveyard after a hurricane and all the bodies have kind of come fully up already. Like what bodies are left? I'm crushing it today. I'm crushing it today. Here's what I know. What do you know? (laughs) Every generation needs a hero. Uh Your Ellsberg's Daniel. Oh my God. Your your Brockovich's Aaron. All right. You could be that, Tucker. Serpico in a bow tie. Tell the truth. The way in which Aaron Brockovich, Serpico and Ellsberg are so (laughs) different and just different analogies. Tell the truth. Tell your truth, Tucker. Tell me, I have, I have an, I have a different take. Oh wow! I want Fox News to win this I'm one. With you. You've always been a Fox fan. <laughs> the <laughs> no, Jesse no, no. Waters well, because, you? because to love its point, what else is Tucker really going to do to Fox that they haven't already done to themselves through various uh, depositions and uh, discovery processes over the last several months? But if Fox can somehow stop Tucker from having a platform for the next two years, I think that's a win for all of us. I think that's great. Yeah, that's where yeah. I'm at too. I want I want Fox to just hold the line on this uh, on this um, fascist non compete. J- We're with you, Murdochs. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Keep the faith. Jokes aside, I think what I'm most interested in in all of this is which uh, mainstream media outlets are willing to uncritically print everything Tucker's lawyer says. Oh, Bodies yeah. are buried. I got bare knuckle brawlers lawyers, standing friend, by to fight. Allies, friends, sources close to Tucker. Everyone is offering <laughs> Tucker money. I mean, the amount of posturing going on in these news stories that are just going unquestioned is uh, notable. Yeah. I, I the, one of the one of the reports was said that Daily Wire was like I'm I've been waiting for the fucking Tucker Carlson, uh, Tucker Carlson ben caravan Sh- and the Ben Shapiro caravan. Those places, those people should meet in the middle. I mean, th- there is look, the, the, Tucker Carlson will wind up on a Rumble or a Daily Wire type outlet. I think the question really is whether his non compete prevents him from going to <laughs> sixty minutes a news <laughs> Washington uh, New York Times column. <laughs> Yeah. Cancel culture run amok <laughs> this week at the New York Times. Pamela Paul and Tucker Carlson have, an, have yeah. a conversation. They're doing one of those chats. <laughs> uh, I was watching CBS Sunday morning because I'm 75 years old of course this you weekend. How do you even get that thing? <laughs> do you have rabbit ears? And, and they, had George, <laughs> they had George Will doing a puff piece on Henry Kissinger. And I was like, what, what? era oh, am I living in? Yeah, I You saw that too? <laughs> I did not see it, no. I saw Tommy tweet about anyway, it. Then. Sorry to do that to you. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I agree. I'd like anything that keeps Tucker Carlson quiet for a while. I'm for. But you know what? Go at each other. Uh, burn the whole conservative uh, <laughs> ecosystem. My to point the is just like quiet is kind of a is going to be a range because I do think he's going to have a podcast on Rumble or something like that. He's going to do something. It's a or question of whether he's on Newsmax or, or he's he a non compete. Tweet a video and Elon will just like you know yeah, juice it, and juice it, promote it. All right. Finally, the list of Clarence Thomas scandals just keeps getting longer. Uh, Harlan Crow didn't just secretly pay for private jet rides, luxury yacht trips, and the home of Clarence Thomas's mother. The latest ProPublica bombshell says that Crow also paid the private school tuition for Thomas's grandnephew. And the Washington Post reports that Federalist Society goon Leonard Leo paid $25,000 to Ginny Thomas through Kellyanne Conway's polling company and asked that the paperwork have, quote, no mention of Ginny, of course. <laughs> Can the Senate Judiciary Committee do anything about these scandals? Or any of the judicial nominations that are stuck in committee? Of course not, because Dianne Feinstein is still absent. Uh, Jake Tapper made a point about this to Dick Durbin over the weekend. Let's listen. All due respect, sir, you and your fellow Democrats were very ginger and very polite when it came to Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and not pushing her to retire uh, when you had a Democratic majority in the Senate. How'd that work out for you? How'd that work out for Roe v. Wade? 
Well, I, I can tell you that uh, you can uh, play these out and try to guess what the Supreme Court opinions resulting from it will be. Uh, the bottom line is, though, uh, we have in the past uh, had members of the Senate, I can think of a handful as I'm sitting here, Democrats and Republicans, who've been ab absent because of medical conditions for lengthy periods of time. I want to treat uh, Dianne Feinstein fairly. I want to be sensitive to her family situation and her personal situation. Uh, and I don't want to say that she's going to be uh, put under more pressure than others have been in the past. What is going on? I, I will say this. So <laughs> first of all, Dick Durbin is the person that has set off this. It was Dick Durbin's comments to CNN that set off the calls for Dianne Feinstein to uh, retire. It was him telling a reporter, hey, I'm not going to be able to move judges through this committee. We're deadlocked on a bunch of shit. Uh, this is creating a real problem that set off the firestorm of people calling uh, for her to retire. So he's there's a I'm I'm sensitive to the fact that clearly he is reacting to what the Feinstein people have been saying, which is she's not going to be forced out. He's trying to be delicate. Um, but that being said, uh, yikes. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree with all that. I, I, probably people would have noticed. That's why the the nominations were held up. They can count the votes on the on the committee at some point. Yeah, for I sure. Mean, but I'm he went out there. But I'm saying he went out there yeah. and kicked it up. Well, he did in a very, in a very Dick Durbin in way. A very, look, all of this is in <laughs> a very Dick Durbin way. The velvetiest of velvet gloves is that he is approaching all of this. I mean, this went viral because of I Jake's get, question, not because of Durbin's answer. I get that these people are all collegial and they're all friends in the Senate. I get it. I get it. You don't want to be nasty to someone who you've served with for many years. But like, fucking, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake. Well, he goes on to say in that interview that when Feinstein put out in her statement that nothing is being held up, that he just doesn't agree with that, that her absence is being felt on the committee. They can't do these subpoenas for Harlan Crow or for Clarence Thomas. It is slowing down the nomination process. So he is saying that. I mean, look, I don't know why I'm defending Dick Durbin. Uh, nobody's <laughs> Big, been- Biggest biggest Dick Durbin yeah, I don't, defender I don't know, I don't, I'm surprised by myself. No, but uh, no, Diane he, Feinstein should fucking retire. The, the reason, like Durbin's answers, Durbin's sort of letter to the, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court about ethics, inviting him to come to the committee was very frustrating and seemed incredibly fat because it was sadly but, he RSVP'd no <laughs> right not only oh, no, he RSVP no <laughs> will not attend he sent a scathing response was basically like how dare you even ask me strict scrutiny did a great episode on all these sort of ethics issues that you should that you should listen but the biggest challenge is because Feinstein isn't there they can't, he can't issue a subpoena they can't do no anything power. and so listen setting aside the whole Diane Feinstein of it all no one individual lawmakers hurt feelings should take precedent over the work that we all send in there to do and like the, the suggestion otherwise, this silly forced collegiality, she's 89 years old. Several years ago, there was a round of stories about her asking the same question at a hearing verbatim twice in a row. I That's that, when people really started talking about this stuff. I think the saddest part of this also is now, we are now in, we've been in weeks and weeks of stories about a lot of people calling for her to retire, a lot of people questioning whether she's mentally fit and certainly whether or not she is has the sort of physical stamina to ever return to the Senate. Through that entire period of time, she said, I will return but will not give a date. That is really sad because it tells you that her health condition is very serious, that she cannot return to the Senate. So it is all very like, it's, it is obviously human and it is somebody who is afraid to have their final moments in public life be defined by their illness and calls to resign. That is obviously sad. But one person's ego and the staff's desire to protect that person's ego is not more important than confirming justices, getting these subpoenas out the door and having full representation for California in the Senate. It's ridiculous.
And this, I hate, this isn't even potentially the worst of it. Like, you know, Diane Feinstein's making an argument that, oh, look at how many judges they confirmed. And I, I you know, this argument is like, we're, we're getting through all the judges that can be confirmed right now. Uh, and, but down the road, there's going to be a roadblock. Of course, there's going to be a roadblock with her without her on the committee. And then, of course, there's the Supreme Court stuff. But as Amy Klobuchar mentioned, when she first talked about this, we need it for the debt ceiling too, potentially, right? If if if, if we get if we get either Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema, one of them to not be an asshole, and it we required like you know 51 Democrats to be there or 50 Democrats to be there plus Kamala Harris, and we don't have and we don't have Diane Feinstein, that could be a real fucking problem. Or it just it just change it just um sets it sets one one card against us even further of having to need every vote. Rokana Ro tweeted about how because Senator Feinstein was absent, the Senate overturned a Biden rule that would cut pollution from heavy duty trucks and cause all of us to breathe in worse air. I mean, that's a real, that that has happened in the past. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's not just about confirming judges. I mean, we can, they can spin this all they want, but that's not the extent of the problem. Yeah. And more broadly on these Clarence Thomas revelations, it's now like multiple stories about Clarence Thomas and ethics. There was a, a story about Justice Neil Gorsuch selling a law firm to a big uh, selling real estate to a law firm that had a bunch of issues before the court. There's questions about Roberts's wife placing uh, lawyers at big firms and maybe earning $10 million. I think what we're learning is that maybe decades and decades of really chummy coverage of Supreme Court that you know ends up in book deals and people being friends has not really served us very well. And maybe we need a little more adversarial work uh-huh. here. Subtweeting Nina Totenberg. <laughs> I'm not hey, subtweeting. Take that, Nina Totenberg. I'm with you. Everybody, I'm, like, I know, we, I know. like, let's. We got to go a little harder at these folks. These people, I got to reform the court. That's the only way out. There's, there's, they're not going to make ethics rules for themselves. They're not going to be. Uh, they're clearly not embarrassed by any of the reporting. They don't feel shame on this stuff. They feel like they're above the law because, because the way that we've set up the system right now, they really are. Unless we have you know, 60 votes in the Senate to pass some reforms or to expand the court or to put into place term limits. Or we, like or we have enough, we have enough senators to get rid of the filibuster. We can do it with a few more. Oh yeah. Or if we have enough senators to get rid of the filibuster and like, you know, I mean, again, I would love it if Diane Feinstein could come back and we'd actually could subpoena Justice Roberts or Thomas and, and then have let them, them, let and then them have defy them, it. Yeah. And then have them be, you know, uh, answer for themselves on national television. Great. Um, but real change, we got to fucking change the court. The uh, the Clarence Thomas story about the tuition is, I thought, pretty funny because the only defense that it's not a gift for Clarence Thomas is that it was actually a gift to the child, which is really funny to think about a billionaire giving a suitcase full of cash to some kids so he can go to school. Like, as we all know, it's the child who pays tuition at school. Well, I think that was, and then and Crow's statement in response to the story was like, how could you turn like his love of education into something political? <laughs> and like, I believe like, there's some oh, his love of education. education. Yeah, it's all education the other... and Nazi memorabilia. And I believe that Thomas <laughs> did disclose when someone else paid for part of this kid's tuition. So this is just the 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 most amazing thing about the Thomas revelations is it's even forcing reporters from the New York Times to be like, yeah, I looked at it. No, no, no if ands or buts. Pretty illegal. Yeah, you yeah. Know, they have no way to. They can't spin it into a. They said he said they said every defense of he said they said they said they said sure sure every. Defense defense of Crow giving all this money to Clarence Thomas in a variety of ways has fallen apart. For example, uh, Crow gave an interview with the Dallas Morning News where he recounted how he first met Clarence Thomas, and it was Crow offering Clarence Thomas a ride home on his private jet. That's how they met. They're just on P- a private they're, they're jet. PJ buddies. They're PJ they're buddies. PJ buddies. 
<laughs> During that flight, we found out we were kind of simpatico. <laughs> I bet you did. Billionaire said. I bet you did. That's I a bet direct you did. quote. Simpatico. I bet you did. Yeah. Okay. You know, the other thing, too. Saw my, saw my copy of Mein Kampf fall out of my bag. And... <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's a collector. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a it, collector. Was, yeah. it was a statue of Hitler. L.A. dad defying over there. It was a little like, you know those Statue of Liberty ones they sell at like the airport in New York? It was a Hitler. It was a little Hitler. Fell out of his pocket. It's a paperweight for history. I just, I just, yeah, I got this at an auction. The funny thing too is, it's like, it's like, oh, so you caught a ride on a billionaire's private jet, and then you had a great discussion with him, paying for the privilege of being on that private jet with your conversation, you know, like earning your keep as an interesting guest aboard this private jet. It's gross. I say it's gross. RBG should have retired. And, and you know what? I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you something else. I got we got all shit, we got shit for that. I called him. I was one of these ginger people. No, I'm just saying. I'm sexist for calling Feinstein to resign. I'm sexist for calling for RBG to resign. Listen, what, I have what, a position a here to make it a trend. <laughs> I'll call on old people to resign all the time. Can you find some old dude? Yeah, I gotta Chuck Grassley. Chuck, Chuck Grassley, you gotta get out of there. Strom Thurmond. <laughs> I, let me just let this say. I'm just saying. I was. I remember when, when, whenever you even hinted at the idea that RBG should retire, you were uh, properly for for uh, for notorious RBG. You were castigated at the time. I'm just saying. You look back at it. Okay. Well, hopefully our producers can find some clips of you uh, calling for the RBG retirement. Uh, you can find it, Olivia. You can find it. <laughs> Go when, to the archives. When we, to the archives. To the, <laughs> to the archives. <laughs> when we come back, Pod Save the UK host Nish Kumar talks to Tommy about his new podcast and King Charles's coronation. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious... You'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else Tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at crooked.com slash friends. Hey, it's Lovett, and I'm on my way to your city. And by on my way, I mean I'm still in the shower, but still about to head out. Love It or Leave It live on tour is heading all over the country. We'll be in Charlotte, Asheville, Boston, Madison, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. And if we're not coming to your city this time, I'm sorry, the country is too big. Take it up with the pioneers. To learn more and get tickets, head to crooked.com slash events. All right, it's been a wild week in the United Kingdom, which is why I am so excited to welcome the co-host of Pod Save the UK, 
to the show. Nish, it is so great to see you. Uh, you are number one in the UK on Apple Podcast Charts. Are you drunk with power right now? I'm drunk with power and I'm drunk with alcohol, Tommy. Uh, I don't know how much <laughs> you know about British culture, but uh, when things go well, we get incredibly drunk. And when things go badly, we get incredibly drunk. I love that. Let's all get pissed. Also, I want <laughs> to clarify to all uh, listeners in the UK that I'm wearing this hat with Pat the Patriot on it, not to be a troll, but because I need a haircut. So just, <laughs> let's just get that on the table. Uh, okay. King Charles had his coronation bash over the weekend. A lot of the stories I saw in the run-up to Saturday basically argued that nobody cared. <laughs> First coronation <laughs> since Queen Elizabeth II in 1953, there's a poll that said 64% of adults had no real interest in the ceremony. Did you end up watching, and, and do you think 64% of the country really just tuned this thing out? I mean, I think that there is, there remains like a section of the public for whom the royal family are an incredibly important part of their of their lives, and I I don't I don't know if I can speak to sixty four percent. I mean, I think in terms of who watched it, it would probably be more than that, just sort of out of sheer curiosity. I I think whether you care or not, there are a lot of people that just tuned in. I mean, literally because they sort of took over all the TV channels. Right. You know, like a supervillain does in a movie yeah. when they're threatening a country. I have images of like BBC broadcasters kicking down your door and shoving a TV <laughs> in your face to make you watch. Like, I love the BBC, but God, they love these these royal events. I couldn't agree with you more strongly on both of those things. Absolutely love the BBC, uh, but yeah, they go they go hard. They've got a perma boner for the uh, for the royal family and for coverage of the royal family. It's relentless. This is why I love your show so much, because you guys had this really thoughtful academic on and you were talking about federalism versus the monarchy. And I want to I want to ask you more about that in a second. But you teed it up, I think, saying, but it's more difficult than just getting rid of these cousin fuckers. Right. Which, you know, <laughs> that kind of candor is the show for me. But before we get to that, there were a bunch of arrests of peaceful protesters. When, what happened there? When did London decide to outlaw peaceful protest on the streets? Uh, this government has uh, kind of the sort of larger background to this is uh, the government has passed a bill that um, specifically makes it more difficult to protest uh, in this country. And some of that protest bill was on the back of some of the kind of climate protests that have been happening uh, all over the world. But specifically in Britain, some of the climate protests that have been happening, uh, the government have passed a bill, um, some of the terms of which... Uh, allow police to set an appropriate level for protest, which I, I mean, I don't think anybody thinks is a good idea. But some no. of the new powers given to them uh, in this protest bill seem to have been used uh, on uh, protesters. It, it's weirdly not actually just protesters that have been arrested. Um, there were three people were arrested uh, in Soho uh, on Saturday uh, on a conspiracy to commit public nuisance. And uh, it transpires that those people were volunteers for a programme run by Westminster City Council uh, to on. distribute rape alarms uh, to women who might be vulnerable travelling on their way home. Um, oh and the reports that have come out today uh, the, uh, suggest that arresting officers claim that they were acting on some intelligence, that those people were planning to uh, set rape alarms off and throw them at the horses to make the horses go crazy. And the, this could not come at a worse time for the Met Police, whose reputation in terms of uh, handling particularly female members of public is, you know, is at an absolute all-time low. 
uh, and yeah. with huge amounts of justification. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a very very it's that's a very specific thing that's worth keeping an eye on um, as the days develop as to any whether any charges are going to be brought. Um, they've arrested uh, yeah some protesters. They even arrested a journalist uh, who was filming the protest and who sort of filmed himself being arrested in a kind of weird sort of Blair Witch found footage horror nightmare <laughs> of being, being being arrested simply for that, where he's trying to tell... You can see on the footage, he's sort of saying to people, well, I'm, I'm a journalist, and the police are just sort of going, no, we'll, we'll crack on with this. Yeah, we'll arrest you anyway. Yeah, every time we talk, I realise how uh, similar our, our nation's problems are. It's getting that balance right of uh, allowing protesters to do their thing has been a real challenge for us the last couple of years, too. So... The, the the monarchy has existed for a very long time. That doesn't mean it's going to be around forever. On last week's Pod Save the UK, you and Coco had this great conversation with um, a scholar and you talked to this Labour MP about what it would take to get rid of the monarchy. Now, the, the only kings we have here in the US are, are Elvis, LeBron, and Berger. So <laughs> help us understand, how do we get rid of this family that just like won't go away. And let me say, uh, as a representative of the United Kingdom, we would like to thank His Majesty the Burger King. Uh, several <laughs> of his embassies uh, have uh, opened throughout our country. Um, oh, nice. And uh, we, we, we remain grateful. Um, it's it, the interesting thing about having a conversation with someone like uh, Amelia, ha Amelia Hadfield, who's a politics professor that we talked to on the show, is that the mechanism for removing the royal family and moving to a republic is very complicated and would require um, almost certainly a referendum, which is, I, I think at this point, if you told the British people that they could either have a referendum or repeatedly be smashed uh, with a cricket bat in the genitals, they would say, <laughs> well, bring on the bat. Cricket's the most <laughs> English of games. Let's crack on with this. Um, just because I think we, we may be referendumed uh, out. Um, but for people like Clive Lewis, who was the Labour MP that we spoke to, I think one of the most important things in the short term is actually a reform of the royal family. Uh, I, because The Guardian has done a lot of really amazing reporting in the last couple of weeks uh, to show the extent to which the Windsor family has essentially... I mean, they've sort of basically actively been fighting to prevent scrutiny into their financial affairs. Um, and Prince Charles's net worth is sort of estimated to be in the £1.8 billion region. But the truth Billion? Is, yeah, but the truth is... <laughs> oh, my God. But, Tommy, that's also an estimate because they have fought any attempts to kind of really get full clarity on how much they earn. Um, just to set this in context, we know every single thing that every one of our MPs who, like the royal family, are public servants, earns. We have the right to mm -hmm. know that. We know, right. uh, for instance, that our former health secretary, as we discussed uh, when we had the chat on the bonus episode of the show, our former health secretary was paid £320,000 uh, to go on a reality TV show where he mm -hmm. ate bugs uh, for a while. <laughs> um, we uh -huh. But we have the right to know that. We, we have the right to know uh, how much, say, Gary Lineker is being paid, who's a kind of presenter of football highlights on the BBC and who found himself kind of mired in a political row um, after he criticised the uh, Borders and Migration Bill. Um, and we have because he works for the BBC, we know how much the BBC pays him because the idea is we pay that money. And so the idea that the royal family is able to be opaque about its finances when they take money from the public purse 
uh, is something that I think in the short term, I think a lot of people, regardless of how they feel about the ongoing institution, feel should happen so pretty urgently. Yeah, sounds like our Supreme Court. Seems like there's some uh, some transparency needed here. Before we move on, have you seen this Twitter theory that uh, people who believe that Meghan Markle actually did attend the coronation, <laughs> despite saying she was sticking around in California? There was a 79-year-old man named Sir Carl Jenkins. Apparently, he's a composer. He's got long white hair. He's got a mustache. He's got glasses. Your classic disguise getup. And many people are saying that Meghan Markle just snuck in dressed like this 79-year-old white dude. Care to comment? Yes, look, I'm afraid to say Sir Carl Jenkins uh, is an extremely talented composer. Unfortunately, he has chosen a moustache and haircut and glasses combination that makes it look like Sasha Baron Cohen is doing (laughs) some sort of Borat-style prank movie. It is deeply unfortunate. uh, And he did, uh, he was pictured uh, at the coronation and yeah, I understand that there is a theory that Meghan Markle, the people are saying Meghan Markle. Discuss. If anything, it would be fitting that the most high profile member of the royal family who is a person of colour had to disguise themselves as a white man to get into the coronation. <laughs> yeah. If anything, it there'd be something sense. like deeply apt uh, about that. But I'm pretty sure even if Meghan Markle tried to get in, uh, heavily disguised, there'd be some sort of alarm that would have been set off. I think they might have put a chip in her. And if she'd set foot anywhere near the crowd, a bunch of alarms would have gone off and the Metropolitan Police would have thrown her in jail with the other, you know, criminal elements, such as people trying to give women rape alarms. I, I love this because, you know, the absurdity of this theory did not stop the New York Post from writing it up. So um, <laughs> that's how I read all about it. Uh, so, <laughs> well, I understand the New York Post is, uh, I believe, at least philosophically, the uh, bastard child of the Sun newspaper in the United mm-hmm. Kingdom. And uh, I guess both of those newspapers have had a tenuous relationship with the truth of the past. Oh, oh, uh, tenuous at best. <laughs> OK, so back to a little more serious stuff. So England just had some local elections. Yes. Uh, in the US, I think it'd be the equivalent of kind of like a city council or, or mayoral type position. Uh, but they're always looked at as a bellwether ahead of the next national elections. The Conservatives did quite poorly. I think they lost around 1,000 local council seats. The Labour Party gained about 500. The more centrist Lib Dems and the Greens independents, they won too. A lot of analysts are wondering, given how bad a run the Tory party, the Conservatives have had, from Theresa May to Boris Johnson's party scandals and handling of COVID, to Liz Truss nearly sinking the economy with a budget. Um, should Labour have done better? Well, what do you think? How are you analysing this kind of w- what we just saw? Well, the first thing I want to say is uh, just briefly on Liz Truss, and it is good to be brief on her as fit befits her time <laughs> in office. She, if, she was at the coronation and it's this weird yeah. spectacle that I guess an equivalent is you guys having one term presidents at the inauguration mm-hmm. and... I guess it's the equivalent of this, but she's going to be at all of these events. And she was at the fucking coronation for longer than she was prime minister. Like it was absolutely <laughs> obscene that she got that she got a ticket. But yeah, the um, the Conservative Party uh, lost uh, one thousand and sixty one uh, seats, Oof. and uh, there have been a lot of reports that they uh, have encountered on the doorstep a, a lot of hostility to the legacies left by Boris Johnson uh, and Liz Truss and that Rishi Sunak hasn't uh, been able to detoxify uh, the immediate legacy of his two predecessors. And you're like, yeah, 
Of course he hasn't, because it was like six months ago. <laughs> like, amazingly, <laughs> people in the United Kingdom are able to remember things that happened less than a year ago. And less than a year ago, a lady who, from what I can tell, huffed a bunch of crystal meth, read Margaret <laughs> Thatcher's Wikipedia page, and then built a policy <laughs> platform off of it, nearly tanked the British economy and wiped £30 billion off the public purse. So that still continues to damage the Conservative Party. I mean, as to whether Labour should have done better. I mean, there was some sort of hasty expectation management from the Labour Party in the immediate lead up to the local elections. And they were sort of trying to say, well, you know, if the Conservatives lose sort of 600, 700 seats, that's a good night for us. Obviously, the figure is uh, a thousand, which were some of the harshest predictions that people were saying would happen. I think for Labour, the mood at the moment coming out of the Labour Party is beyond euphoric. Um, And Keir Starmer has said that these local election results are evidence that the party is ready for power. But uh, people who understand these things more than I do have been warning that the results are not completely clear cut. They've got a way to go before they can be confident about that. Yeah, I've seen a lot of comparisons to to 1997 when Tony Blair had this massive victory and that was preceded by uh, doing even better in local elections. But boy, my big takeaway from your answer there is, my God, am I jealous that you have an electorate that remembers things that happened six <laughs> months ago? We're working on 30 days, man. Like, you know, tr- like a couple of years ago, Trump was like, yo, storm that Capitol and kill some people. Yeah. And we're like, and people are like, oh, he seems like a decent guy. But I mean, to your to your broader point of like, okay, what will the Tories do to blunt whatever momentum Labor has? It does seem like, like in the United States, immigration is a big emotional issue for conservatives. As we speak, people in Washington are very concerned about and preparing for a potential surge of migrants to our southern border because Joe Biden has to get rid of the sort of pandemic era rule that uh, would essentially force everyone to be expelled. But for you guys, I mean, look, the last time I checked, and correct me if this has changed, the UK is an island. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> you can't just kind of like stroll up to London from another country. How I, I genuinely, t- I would love for you to come and explain that to some of the people that live here, Tommy. Well, I, I, help me understand this. How, how the Tories made this such an issue? As far as I can tell, there is a section of people in the United Kingdom who believe that the country is connected via airport-style travelators that just bring a ceaseless stream of job-stealing immigrants into the country. It's become... But the the key thing with it is that, like the US Republicans, the sort of... The tail is kind of wagging the dog here. The Conservative Mm -hmm. Party is being led by a small section of its electorate. Um, Conservative voters uh, actually said that the, the... A poll of Conservative voters found that stopping the votes was actually the kind of second most important issue to Conservative voters uh, ahead of cutting NHS waiting times. And that so, is... That, stop the boats or the or the migrants who are coming from, I believe, yeah, that's France, right. crossing yeah, that's the right. Channel so of the UK. People are making crossings of the English Channel from France and uh, they're sort of... Um, it, it's... It, it, they've turned stop the boats into our caravan of migrants it's it, it's mm-hmm. the bogeyman and the phrase stop the boats uh, you know sort of fits into this kind of um campaigning pattern of the tory party and the brexit campaign you can boil everything down to three words take back control stop the boats get brexit done 
th- these are the sort of key slogans. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think Sunak is sort of hoping that Stop the Boats is his version of that, that he can sort of animate the Conservative vote. Um, but I'm not sure how it's going to play in terms of winning over swing voters, because ultimately, you know, every element of the country is struggling. You know, you, you can't see a doctor... There's going to be more train strikes over the weekend. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the threat of more strikes from the nurses, threat of more strikes from the doctors, because public sector pay is still in real terms to recover from 2008, really. That's how mm-hmm. long standing a lot of these problems are. And those problems are kind of uh, as prevalent in the private sector. So with the whole country grinding to a hole, I think I just feel like there's a lot of people that are going to think, why the hell are you talking to me about boats when I can't see a doctor? Yeah, that seems right. I mean, it is remarkable how much scar tissue there is in both countries, the US and the UK, from 2008 and the financial crisis um, and everything that kind of came after. So there's this new book out called Johnson at 10. It's about Boris Johnson's time as prime minister. Some of the excerpts are unbelievable. It says he referred to himself as the Fuhrer. It's probably not something I'd call myself. Uh, I called himself the King. I think you already have one of those. Uh, It describes him as having no vision for how to govern, talks about fights with his wife, his top advisor, Dominic Cummings, this like Karl Rove, Steve Bannon creep. Um, Are are these revelations seen as explosive? And do you think there's any chance it will change opinions about Boris Johnson? Because over here, there's a book a minute about Donald Trump with some new revelation, and his approval rating is at 42% in perpetuity. Uh, I don't think this is going to change anybody's minds. I think it is a really valuable... Look, I think ultimately all of these things are really valuable historical documents. So the book's written by a guy called Sir Anthony Seldon, who's been writing about British prime ministers uh, for 40 years. And he's he's actually a head teacher as well. So the whole thing, it plays like this kind of report card you get uh, when you leave leave office. And the thing with Boris Johnson is so much of his kind of incompetence is kind of priced in. Um, I, I get a lot of stick here from various people, including a lot of journalists, uh, for drawing parallels between Johnson and Trump. Um, but there is a huge amount of common ground between the two men, you know, not just the like, repeated uses of racist language, not just the uh, building of their brands through the media and kind of the use of celebrity cultivated by entertainment television that they've then leveraged into political power. Our countries are both stuck in this weird place where we threw our leaders overboard, you know, Trump and Boris Johnson, uh, but they won't go away. Uh, (laughs) It's like you, you threw a party That drunk guy is still there. He keeps turning up the music. He's hitting on your girlfriend. Like, what do we do here? How do we get them to take the hint? Do you have any ideas (laughs) that we could borrow? Because I think you guys have done a little bit better job. But but Rishi Sunak, the current uh, Tory prime minister, hasn't, for example, thrown Johnson out of the the party itself. No, uh, I mean, he's where possible, he's sort of trying to distance himself from Johnson, which is very difficult to do because he was Boris Johnson's chancellor. So notionally, he was the second most powerful person in that government. So it is extremely difficult for him to distance himself from that. But I think the similarities between the two uh, 
project. I mean, which doesn't it doesn't feel like you should even call it a project. But between the two shit shows, one of the key similarities, I think, is both of them kind of approached a scorched earth policy to their own parties. So either you got in line or you were bounced out. And what that means is they've created sort of power vacuums in the Republican Party and the Conservative Party. And so you've got this situation where, you know, potentially dissenting voices were purged. And so you're now left in a situation where everybody involved in the party was very much signed up and part of it. And so it's very difficult to distance themselves from those leaders. I mean, the only Mm -hmm. thing that's going to help... here i think is getting them out of office but as we've seen in america you know you did vote him out you got rid of him you survived an attempted coup d'etat it is weird how often i think do you remember that time when like some nazis tried to steal america like it's it 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 comes to me in waves it was a strange thing late at night lots of waves yeah it was a terrible thing and uh it's it's just it's deeply frustrating that a big chunk of the country doesn't look at that memory or think about that history and think that was really bad. Let's not do that again. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. But if you have the kind of apparatus of a media machine, you know, that regardless of, you know, all of those revelations in the Vanity Fair article about Rupert Murdoch and his contempt for Trump didn't stop him Mm -hmm. from eventually completely signing up to, to it wholesale. And Trump was this kind of careering freight train that Murdoch forgot he was responsible for setting off from the station. You know, it's it, yep. it, it's it, the same thing in this country. You know, the the Daily Mail, the Sun newspaper, which is a Murdoch paper, they all have done such an aggressive PR job. And even the the day Boris actually officially left office, the Sun and the Mail both had headlines to the effect of how could the Conservative Party do this? So they were trying to take root that sort of betrayal narrative as he was leaving office in an absolute cloud of disgrace, because it's not just the parties that caused Johnson to go. Uh, there was also uh, a conservative called Chris Pincher, who'd been accused of sexually harassing various people who worked for the Conservative right, Party. Right, yeah. And Johnson Repeatedly. was warned about this. And when he was warned about it, he he said, Pincher by name, Pincher by nature, and then gave yeah. him a fucking job. So it wasn't even yeah. just the parties. It, it was a total kind of cloud of disgrace he was removed from office in. But if you then have newspapers essentially telling the country that this person was turfed out for no good reason, you end up in a situation that you guys are in as a country where you have this like lunatic who mismanaged COVID, caused the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, then tried to kind of lead a fascist coup. And people are still thinking, well, maybe 2024? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, Nish Kumar, that is why Pod Save the UK is so critical because you are the leading edge of the spear that is going to take down the Murdoch empire. <laughs> we heard it here first. So, I don't, Coco. I don't believe he could be killed, Tommy. I don't believe he could be killed. He's very old. Well, the, the guy in succession died. Spoiler, <laughs> yeah, I, spoiler alert. I think that's, I think, because Jesse Armstrong is a, like, not just a great writer, but a deeply moral man. And I think he's hoping Logan Roy, some sort of voodoo doll, that if he gives a heart attack to it, might take down Murdoch. 
Uh, I'm just going to not comment on that. Uh, <laughs> Nish, uh, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. And uh, everyone subscribe to Pod Save the UK. It is a fantastic show. Uh, we have so many shared problems. I think there are shared solutions. We'll hear about both. But also, you're just going to laugh a lot. So uh, I think we all need to laugh so we don't cry. Thanks, Tommy. You're the best. Thanks to Nish Kumar for joining us today, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks to the Calamaris, too. Thanks to the Calamaris as well. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our producers are Andy Gardner-Bernstein and Olivia Martinez. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer, with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Thanks to Hallie Kiefer, Madeline Herringer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Mia Kelman, Ben Hefko, and David Tolls. Subscribe to Pod Save America on YouTube to catch full episodes, exclusive content, and other community events. Find us at youtube.com slash at Pod Save America. <laughs>